I was looking, we, listen, hey, whether you're online today, we'll greet everybody. We got people standing in this gathering. Isn't that awesome? Come on. So if you can squeeze in just a little bit, want everybody to find a seat. Make sure you got room because you're going to be here for about an hour and 20 minutes. I'm going to preach for two hours. Come on. So that's a joke. Hey, what a joy it is to see everybody today. Whatever campus you're a part of, you've been greeted a couple of times, hopefully already. If by some way we missed you coming in from the street to the seat, let this be a moment that we just show you and tell you how much we love you. What a joy and honor it is to have you. My wife, Kimberly, and I, we think the world of you. It's the highest honor to Pastor Go Church, and we're glad you're here today. For those of you in this auditorium, you're at our South Metro Atlanta campus. We have multiple campus from this location. We live stream our gatherings to our West Side Atlanta campus. So we greet all of you on the West Side there. And then also in Montgomery County, Maryland, we have a group of wonderful people meeting in Germantown. So we say good morning and God bless you to you. And then we have the joy to live stream literally around the globe people watching all over the world, and that is not an exaggeration. So whoever you are, wherever you're watching from, I'm just so glad to be connected today. So all right, come on, Go Church family. Let's clap and greet one another like we've never done it before. Come on now, let's go. Oh, come on, love on somebody. That's good. And then uh, if you've been a part of Go Church for any period of time, you know, we've got this weekly tradition here before we get into the message where we pause to give honor to the brave men and women that serve in the military, both active duty and veteran military, and also all of our courageous first responders. And so we're going to do that today, but we're going to take a little bit of extended time and really show some love to these brave men and women. Most of you know that 21 years ago today, on September 11th of 2001, uh, we face tragedy on United States soil. There were four coordinated terrorist attacks that were planned to hit the United States of America on 9-11. Three of those took place with uh, attacks at the Pentagon and then both towers of the World Trade Center. And then we thank God for the brave men and women that were passengers on Flight 93, United Airlines Flight 93, that were able to divert that, that planned, coordinated attack and save many, many thousands of lives because of that. I don't want to misspeak or, or misquote uh, a statistic. I believe it was 2,996 people lost their lives on September 11th, and thousands upon thousands more were affected, including our life. Our country has never been the same. And so we've adopted kind of this, uh, this phrase as Americans because we seem to have rallied together in that time of tragedy. And now every year when we get to 9-11, we say, we'll never forget, we'll never forget. And so I wanna pause, this being September 11th on this Sunday, I wanna pause to recognize those brave men and women that faced fear right in the eye, ran into the unknown, many who lost their lives. I wanna recognize them and I also wanna pause and reflect I'm also aware because of the 21 years that has passed, you have children and grandchildren that weren't alive then. And I think it's always important to look back as we look ahead to learn from history so that we can be better as a nation. So I want to invite every campus for about 90 seconds here to turn your attention to the screen. We'd love to show you just a short video uh, helping us to never forget the tragedy that struck 9-11 and then also give us hope that out of every tragedy, there can be great triumph. Can you say amen to that? 
All right, turn your attention to the screen and then we'll honor those brave men and women. Most of us remember that day. It's etched in our minds, a permanent reminder of tragedy. We all watched helplessly as lives were lost, heroes were born, and a nation was forever changed. The loss was unimaginable, the sorrow unbearable. But through that pain, we witnessed the resolve of a nation. We saw chaos give birth to courage, fear transform into fortitude, and destruction give way to determination. In the midst of the brokenness, freedom stood immovable. Today, we remember those we lost. We honor the heroes who saved so many and grieve with the families who have suffered so much. We still remember and we will never forget. That's uh, beautiful and touching. Here, here's what I want to invite us to do. Would you uh, just out of reverence and respect, can we bow our heads, close our eyes, just take a moment of silence here, not too long, but if we say we'll never forget, let's act out on that truth today and just be reminded of what happened on September 11, 2001. Come on, let's take a moment of silence together. Here's what I want to invite you to do now. Every Sunday, we ask for the military men and women and those who are first responders to raise your hand, and we acknowledge you. I'd like to do something a little different today, though. If you are serving in the military or you're a veteran of military and currently or formally serving as a first responder, I actually want to ask you to stay seated. Okay, you're going to stay seated. I would invite the rest of us, could we stand on our feet if you're physically able Put your hands together and acknowledge these brave men and women. And if anybody's near you, can you show them some love? Come on. Come on. Wholeheartedly here. Tell them thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Come on. Come on. Look somebody near you that's seated and just tell them, say, thank you. God bless you. Hey, how about five more seconds? Can we just thank these men and women? God bless you from the bottom of our heart. Wow. And you may be seated. What a touching moment. Thank you for taking a moment to do that. We'll, we'll, never, we'll never be disappointed that, that we did that today. And, and God bless all of you. And man, God bless America. Amen. Well, today you came for a, a word. I believe that the Holy Spirit has put one in my heart. I do want to pray over this message today because I covet your prayer. And we're going to kick off a three-week series. And we're calling it Don't Lose Your Faith. Don't lose your faith. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about this phenomenon that is sweeping throughout American evangelicalism known as deconstruction. We'll talk, we'll talk more about that, but my heart today is that there is, and this is really my prayer, but that throughout these three weeks you feel 
some renewed hope in the person of Jesus. Can I just tell you, Jesus never fails. Come on, somebody say amen like a testimony. Just, Jesus never fails. I hope you have some restored hope in the power of the word of God, that God's word is alive and active. And then my prayer is that you also feel some restored hope in the local church, the bride of Christ. And the local church is far more than brick and mortar. It's you and me. It's the family of God. And God has a great purpose for us. So I want you to pray for me. I'm going to pray for you today. Let's open up our hearts and minds. When we're done praying, I want you to get something to take notes with. A lot of opportunities to take notes throughout this series. And I believe it will be helpful not just for you, but conversations that you have at work, conversations that you have at school, conversations that you have with family. So let me encourage you to take some notes. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And I believe we'll leave transformed. All right, let's pray. Jesus, I'm asking you to anoint me today from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. Nowhere in my body is there a desire to push my own agenda or to build my own platform. I just want you to be famous, Lord. God, while I want to see this church grow, and it does my heart so good to see standing room only during this gathering, Lord, I'll just stay faithful to preaching your word, and I'll let you grow the church. I don't want to be famous on Instagram or social media. I don't want Go Church to be famous so that we can get acknowledgement in some unhealthy way. I want Jesus to be famous. And until you call me home and I take my last breath, I will preach the gospel, which is the good news. And it will be the anthem of my life to tell people, don't lose your faith. Don't lose your faith. So anoint me today. Anoint those that are listening. I rebuke the enemy that would love to distract the next 40 minutes here. I pray for clarity of mind and thought and speech and I continue to stand on the words of the Apostle Paul where he told the church at Corinth, for I do not preach with wise and persuasive words. Rather, I preach with a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power. I need the Spirit to anoint me today with great power. Let me speak with boldness. Let me speak with confidence. Let me speak out of preparation and prayer. And may you get the glory for it all. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the whole church said amen and amen. We've clapped a lot for a lot of people, but there is no one like our God. Come on, go church. Come on, if you love them, let them know. Woo, I feel the Holy Spirit. Uh, so somebody told me before I walked up here, they said uh, that on their way out of the previous gathering, someone mentioned how great the message was, and they said, you know, I hope you don't disappoint me today because I've come with great anticipation and I believe that you're going to be impacted by the word today. I want to talk to you about this idea of deconstruction. This is a, a, a really genuinely far more than just three weeks, but so much content in these three weeks and I do want you to take notes. Some of you are familiar with the idea of deconstruction or deconstructionism. Either you're familiar with it by your own faith experience or your current journey of deconstructing or maybe you're aware of someone that you're close to and uh, relationally or proximity that's deconstructing in their in their faith as well i'll give you a, a working definition here in just a moment but really the idea of deconstruction is it's not just a person that's rethinking their faith but ultimately we're seeing a movement of people rejecting their faith so i want to go back to the title of the series 
because this really is my heart. Over the next three weeks, you're going to hear me get pretty passionate. The passion does not come from a place of anger. If I was angry at anybody, I'd be angry at the devil. Come on. But I'm passionate and and burdened and concerned about this sweeping deconstruction movement that is causing people to leave the faith altogether. And I'm going I'm to challenge you with everything I've got over these next few weeks here to just hopefully encourage you, man, don't, don't lose your faith. Don't lose your faith. Now, this isn't a part of my message really, but at the end of our life, and there is an end to all of our lives, the only thing that really will matter is our faith and our family. Nothing else really matters. So as the enemy continues to attack your faith, and by a show of fans, how many of you know that's true? The enemy continues to attack your faith. Don't lose it. Fight for your faith. Hold on to it. And so let me talk just a little bit more about the reality of the current state of the church. And I'm talking really from a place of the big C capital church. And more specifically, like in in Western culture, the, the American church here, there's a lot of stuff in it. And that's actually a a nice word compared to what I wanted to say about what we see happening in the church. I mean, there's just a lot of junk in the church. I mean, it's like every time you click on some, you know, news channel or social media, you know, uh, article, man, it's more stuff about the church. And that's painful. I I look at some things that are happening and some things that that leadership is doing and some of the, the spiritual abuse and uh, the misconduct of leaders, we'll talk some about that today. But, I mean, it grieves my heart. And I know that people are looking at the church and, and frustrated at, at the state of the church. But I was just reminded as a part, again, of, of this kind of introduction to, to week number one, is that if you are a son or daughter of Christ, you don't live by what you see. We live by faith, not by sight. If I were to live my, my faith walk by what I see, I'd be out because people are crazy. Come on, somebody look at somebody near you and say, I think he's talking directly to you. Go ahead and tell him that. People are crazy. People are acting a fool. And the church has seemingly got off its tracks. But I, I don't live by sight. I don't live by what I see. I, I live by faith. Does that make sense? And so I want you to understand that, that you don't make, this is way ahead of my notes, but don't make your faith decision, don't place your eternity in the hands of a man or woman. Don't allow the foolishness of people to keep you out of eternity with God. I know I'm going to teach a lot this series, but that will preach right there. Come on. So let me try to give you a little working definition of deconstruction. This is This is kind of my definition here, and again, one of the reasons that it's a challenge to give you like a true definition of deconstruction is because it has various meanings depending on the context. So in an academic context, it's got a variety of meanings for that particular group or conversation. In faith, it's got informal meanings, so it's hard to really pinpoint the the truth of deconstruction, but enough with that. Here's, here's the working definition for the series, and we'll kind of unpack this line by line, but it's, in my opinion, it's the process of, of questioning or the process of doubting and then ultimately rejecting 
particular aspects of the Christian faith, and then I just gave you one example, like, like the church. We'll talk specifically about that in, in a few minutes, but people disagree with the structure of the church, or they've been hurt by church people. So I'm deconstructing from the assembling of the saints, as Hebrew talks about, or the process of deconstruction is they're going to reject faith entirely. Does that make sense? So through the process of deconstructing, the outcome is, well, I, I don't believe in God. I don't believe there is a God. I don't believe in the Christian faith or the Christian traditions, and so I'm opting out. And obviously, you can see some of the great danger within that. Now, let me talk specifically about the process of questioning and doubting. Your Bible talks about our responsibility to work out our own salvation with both fear and trembling. Now, in order for you and I to work out our own salvation, and I just, I want, I want you to take like a, a genuinely, but like a, a breath of fresh air here, you are going to have questions. And there are going to be moments that you have doubts. How do I know that? Because I've experienced that in my own life, and I'm your pastor. Like, I've read the Bible multiple times from cover to cover. I love the responsibility to pastor and shepherd and be your spiritual tour guide. But at the end of the day, one thing we all have in common is that we are human. And humanity has questions. And humanity has doubts. And so whenever life happens, and how many of you know life's going to happen? So whenever life happens or spiritual things happen to you, you have this process of having questions and, and maybe even doubts. Can you give me a few moments to be transparent here? Uh, I'm going to do it anyway, whether you said yes or no, I'm going to do it. I'll give you a couple areas that I've questioned in, in my faith walk or, man, even areas I've had doubts. I have never doubted, though, the person of Jesus Christ. For whatever reason, in my faith walk, I have always believed that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus was sent by God not to condemn the world but to save the world. And the only way to save the world was through crucifixion on the cross at Calvary. I've always believed and still today that there is power in the blood. I believe Jesus was born of a virgin named Mary. He lived a sin-free, sinless life. They crucified him on the cross. They buried his lifeless body in a tomb. And I've never doubted that three days later... Up from the grave, he arose. Can I get somebody to help me preach? I've never doubted, and I've, I've never doubted, I've never doubted that Jesus is coming back. But I have questioned, where did God come from? I've never doubted Jesus. But there have been moments in my faith where I'm like, God, how'd you get there? Am I the, I thought you'd be like, me too, but I guess I'm the only one. Well, you know, smarter than I am. So I don't, watch, I don't leverage my, my question, I don't leverage my doubt to reject my faith, I leverage my, my question to grow in my faith. So I, at some times, watch this, my finite mind can never comprehend an infinite God. So there is a gap between my humanity and his divinity, and in that gap has to be faith. Watch this, I'll never know everything. Kimberly said the loudest amen. I don't know what that was about. She's like, amen to that. Look at somebody and say, you'll never know it all. 
You're never going to know it all. So I have to rest on Genesis 1 says, in the beginning, God. Well, okay then. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, Jesus, and Jesus was with God. Okay then. In my faith journey, I've, I've been saved since, as a matter of fact, this month is uh, 23 years. And in my 23-year faith walk, I wish I could tell you that I never one day questioned why my dad died. But I have and do. A couple nights ago, little London, seven years old, we were getting ready for bed, and I don't even know if you heard her say this, but she says, can we call your dad in heaven? It's like, man, do I wish. She said, you think when I get to heaven, he'll know who I am? I'm like, I know he will know who you are. Here's another. When I was a kid, I, I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church. Some of you have that faith upbringing. And I remember in vacation Bible school, the, the pastor of the church was teaching this vacation Bible school class. And, and for whatever reason, the conversation got around dinosaurs. And I just remember him saying, hey, if you're a Christian, you, you don't believe in dinosaurs. And for years, I was just like, okay. So I'll refuse all the, the findings and the facts because you told me that I can't believe in dinosaurs. And then Jurassic Park came out. And I'm just telling you, theologically, like, my mind was blown. I'm like, how? <laughs> Growing up, a pastor said, if you are a black man, you should never marry a white woman. Or if you are a black woman, you should never marry a white man. I remember just being a kid thinking, but we're all created in the image of God. And now some people will say, well, I don't see color. Well, unless you're colorblind, you lie. <laughs> like, I've never met a black person. I'm like, I don't see color. No, you're black, I'm white. You're God's son or daughter. I'm God's son or daughter. Now imagine if I let that false teaching, because watch this, that ain't the Bible. Now if I let that false teaching continue to be the narrative of my faith, Man, that, that could be damaging and, and even potentially racist to a particular group of beautiful people. But I didn't just take somebody at their word. I went to the Bible. Now, the Bible says you shouldn't be unequally yoked, that a believer shouldn't marry an unbeliever. That's, that's the Bible. Some of y'all, though, I mean, if you get on Ancestry.com, you might find out that your white husband is actually one-eighth Nigerian. Then what? <laughs> By the way, I've been meaning to tell you something, Kimberly. <laughs> the point is this, is that you could stand here all day and talk about the questions and the uncertainties and the doubts that we have. And you've heard me tell you this before, but this is what I've learned. Great questions lead to great faith. The enemy would love for you, though, to take your questions and your doubts and then say, well, because I have them, I can't be a believer. 
No, the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. There is a call to intellectualism, to knowledge, and to growth, and to maturity. And I just want you to know that even the, the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, in the first public sermon that Jesus ever preached as recorded in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus' first sermon, he talks about the fact, you all have great questions, now let me tell you the truth. Read it for yourself, I'll give you four, five, six examples here. In his first public sermon ever, here's what he says, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 and 22. You have heard that it was said that there are no such thing as dinosaurs. Okay, that's not in there, I just, if you don't, anyway. But I want to tell you the truth. He doesn't say, how dare you have questions? How dare you have doubts? Look what he says in verse 27, 28. You have heard that it was said, but I tell you. Verse 31. It has been said, but I want you to know. Verse 38 and 39. Do you, do you get the point here? You have heard that it was said, but I just want to let you into some insight and wisdom of God here. Final one, verse 43 and 44. Watch. You have heard that it was said, but I tell you. What if, lean in for a second, watch. What if the question that you have right now, what if the doubt that you're wrestling with in your faith right now is actually God's invitation into a faith journey to take you somewhere in spiritual maturity that you've never been before? What if the doubt isn't necessarily the devil, but it's an invite from God so that you go on this journey with him so that he can reveal his glory and power and majesty? Do you feel that the way I feel? I love what George MacDonald said about doubts. Watch this. And it's a little wordy, so I'll unpack it. Doubts are the messengers of the living one to the honest. They are the first knock at the door of things that are not yet, but have to be understood. If you just take something at face value, and you never, listen, study to show thyself approved, then you'll stay at the same spiritual level, the same spiritual maturity as when it all first began. But how many of you know that I, you just want to grow? I want to learn. And I am thankful, we talked about this uh, a couple days ago, about going back and listening to some messages that I preached when I was first saved or first really studying the Bible. When I listen to it now, I'm like, bro, that is heresy. Like, that's not even the Bible, but it felt good 20 plus years ago. I'm glad that I've studied and researched and asked the Holy Spirit for wisdom and he's matured me both in knowledge and in gray beard hair. Come on, somebody, say amen to that. Here's the other part. So questions and doubts aren't bad. Don't be embarrassed by them. The other thing I want to say is this, is that you shouldn't just take what a preacher says to be true. Um, people are, I want to be careful because I have to talk about Go Church because it's, it's the one that I pastor, okay? And so I've got to own all of the dysfunction of this church. But man, I... I watch, rarely, but I'll watch some Christian TV. 
And I hear them say things like, if you send X amount of dollars, you'll get X amount of blessings. No wonder people have been hurt. They've, they've dropped their life savings into a gimmick. I'm, I'm, I'm walking on thin ice, I can tell. I've heard things on YouTube about what pastors are telling their, their people. And, and in the kindest sense, it's spiritual abuse. So let me, let me tell you, I want everybody listen to me. Don't just take what I say to be true. You better read your Bible. You better read your Bible and make sure that if my pastor said it, I want to examine the scripture. Now, I'll try to tell you a funny story, and I am funny, by the way. I'll try to tell it's funny, isn't it? I'll try to tell you a story here or there. I'll give you an illustration or two. But at the end of the day, my heart is that you get the word of God. But you can't just say, well, because JC said so. You think about what Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, said about the the Berean Jews, a specific group of people in the town of Thessalonica. And here's what he said. He said the Berean Jews were of more noble character than any of the other Thessalonians because whenever they heard a message from the apostle Paul, not only were they eager to get that word, but then they examined the scriptures every day to see, is that joker telling the truth? Does that make sense? Okay, let me move on. Watch this. So I added this next slide, uh, 5.30 this morning. Because I felt the Holy Spirit say, just make sure everybody knows the point you're trying to make. So watch, here's the point. Facing your doubts, asking tough questions, studying the scriptures for answers, that is not deconstruction. That's discipleship. It's discipleship. It's going on a journey and saying, okay, I've got doubts, but I'm not going to let my doubts keep me from learning the truth. Because your Bible says that the truth will set you. Can I get 100 people to help me preach today? The more you amen, the faster I preach. We all got tough questions, so ask them. It's discipleship. Get into the word. That's discipleship. Now, the practice of deconstruction and the most polite way of explaining it is demolition. Those that are going to deconstruct their faith, they are annihilating their faith altogether. Now, I'm not being mean. I just want to have a conversation here. So modern deconstruction basically and typically means that there are some uncomfortable truths in the Bible that I don't like So I'm going to deconstruct from all of that and I'll just lean into some things that are more culturally comfortable. Watch this. Because your Bible, the gospel, is confrontational. And so when people read it, they're like, "Mm, I don't like that this religion, I don't like that this book is telling me that I've got to live a different way, a, a different standard. So instead of believing that, I'm going to deconstruct that, and I'll just, I'll just align my ideologies with, with things that make me feel good, because surely God wants me happy. Listen to me. God cares more about your holiness than he cares about your happiness. God cares more about your character than he cares about your comfort. Now, the joy of the Lord can be your strength, but his ultimate goal for you is discipleship and eternity with him. So watch, when you read that book, there are going to be things that will slap you in the jaw. 
and then you're at a fork in the road spiritually. Will you accept that as truth or will you reject it and say, no, no, I'll just, I'll go the way of the world. Let me give you a few signs of deconstruction here and this will tell you exactly what I'm preaching. One of the first steps in deconstruction is we deny the authority of Scripture. And and you've got to start here because as believers, everything that we believe, everything that we hold to be true is found in God's written word. Can I get an amen from somebody? Okay. So this is not just our only authority, it's our final authority. And God's word trumps anybody else's word. So when you begin to deny the authority of Scripture, you know that you're on the fast track to deconstruction because everything hinges on you standing on the Word of God. And then what happens? Well, now people start to choose subjective morality over objective morality. Week number three of a series we did earlier this year called Ask Away, I talked a lot in detail about the difference of subjective morality and objective morality. So go back and listen to that because it's going to be a quick synopsis, all right? Once you begin to deny the authority of Scripture, you have no choice but to have subjective morality. Subject, this is how you base your morals. Where do you get your morals from? Where do you get your convictions from? If you don't get them from the Bible, then where do they come from? They're subjective, which simply means you think there is no absolute truth. So your basis of morality is on how you feel. And can I tell you something? You can't live on your feelings. And we're living in a world, and I'm I'm just being honest with you, that over the last 10, 11, 12 years, we have completely lost our morality. We are so flipping gone. Do you ever listen to stories or read stories and think, even the most extreme people must be like, we're cray-cray. Did you see the article the other day, and I don't remember the university, But there was a lawsuit from a student because this individual wanted to be recognized, greeted, conversated with as a cat. Anybody see that? Because I'm not making it up. What? And she won. There was a part of me that was like, I would love to be in that next lecture. I want to welcome all of you in. (laughs) What? But again, it's subjective morality. This is how I feel. And listen to me. Everybody look up here. Unless Jesus comes back today, which come on, Lord, we ain't seen nothing yet. So where do you get your morals? Now, objective morality says there is an absolute truth. There is a higher standard. And all of the questions, all of the doubts, all of the worries that we have in life, we can find answers in this book. That's all I got? It's like, yep. Tell them. All right, we'll keep moving on. Watch. And the signs of deconstruction, they abandon regular church community. I've told you this before, I mean, in recent weeks, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a driveway makes you an SUV. 
and I'm not trying to be mean, but there are thousands of people all around the, the United States of America today that they are attending church and they're honoring the Lord with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, I'm glad you're here. So if you're doubting your faith or skeptical in your faith, I'm glad you're here because I believe the Holy Spirit will speak to you and God will reveal himself to you. But just because you go to church and you check off your religious to-dos doesn't guarantee you getting into heaven. I feel like preaching for 30 seconds. There is only one way you get into heaven, and that is if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And real salvation requires repentance of your sin, not church attendance. I ran into somebody a couple years ago and said, man, I haven't seen you at Go Church for a while. Where have you been? He said, well, I'm not going to Go Church anymore. That's my go-to accent, by the way, <laughs> if you're new here. Well, I ain't going to Go Church anymore. I was like, why? He's like, because the church is full of hypocrites. I was like, whoa, 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 that is not true. There's always room for one more. Come on, somebody, say amen. <laughs> no, it's full of them, but we got one more seat for you, bud. We're not perfect. Hey, and you know what I love about Go Church? We don't pretend to be. That does not give us the right to spiritually abuse people. It doesn't give us the right to mistreat people and be unkind to people. But this is a hospital for hurting people. And listen, if you ever leave this church and you go to another church because you think they're perfect, please stay away from them because you'll mess the whole thing up with your dysfunction. <laughs> Let them be perfect in their perfectness. You stay here with the rest of us. <laughs> I don't know why I did that. I don't, know, I don't know where that came from. But I looked at one of y'all and it felt right. Lord, help us. We need each other. I've got this image in my brain. Let me share it. If you have a, a fire with a lot of wood, that fire will continue to burn as long as the wood is in the fire. You pull one piece of wood out of that fire and set it alone, and eventually the flame will die. Listen, I don't even know. I may listen to what I'm about to say in 20 years and be like, okay, you're going to answer to God for that one, JC. <laughs> you may not need the church to be saved, but I feel like you need the church to stay saved. Because the enemy loves when sheep get alone. Ooh. The enemy always attacks that one sheep that's gotten away from the flock. Oh my God, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. That's why the good shepherd leaves the 99. He goes after the one because he knows the 99 got each other's back, but the one is in danger because they're all by themselves. So the good shepherd says, hey, y'all do you. I'm going after the one lost sheep. I'm bringing them back into the family because we need each other. Give God the best praise you've got. Come on. Woo! I hope they put this on the YouTube, mama. Woo. Oh, and here's what they do. Now, now they reframe every single negative church experience as spiritual abuse. You know what? There have been some pastors that have abused people spiritually and physically and sexually. And that is, it's damning. It's unacceptable. 
But let me tell you this, all right? Accountability is not spiritual abuse. So stop being so sensitive. Uh, I got, I got to, or our pastoral staff, we got to sit you down from leadership because you're not living according to the word of God. I know that's hard, and I know that might feel embarrassing, but it's my heart to disciple you. So if I've got to sit you down so you can grow up, that's not spiritual abuse. That's discipleship. In our move track, four steps, step one, two, three, four, it's a discipleship pathway. And the final step, you, you talk about membership at Go Church and how you can serve on a team. And, and if it's your heart to serve here, which, by the way, saved people serve people. I digress. We give those who are going to serve on the Go team a leadership honor code. It's a leadership honor code. You would be shocked and amazed at the amount of people that question the leadership honor code. I'm like, what do you mean? What is this even about? Okay, it's about accountability. It's about discipleship. It's about iron sharpening iron. If I wasn't the pastor of this church, I was just attending this church, I would thank God for a church that didn't just put anybody in leadership, but that had guardrails and standards and, and convictions. Am I the only one that feels that way? Like, all right, JC, you're not the pastor. You're just attending here. Thank God for a church that wants people to pursue holiness. There's a lot. Hey, God bless them if you want. There are a lot of other churches. They don't have those kind of standards or convictions. But at Go Church, we do. So those standards are not spiritual abuse. And if you've ever felt spiritually abused here, look at me. I publicly repent. I publicly repent. And I am deeply sorry. But I will not apologize for calling you to grow up. Yikes. Live right. Pursue God. And don't lose your faith. Can somebody say amen to that? All right. So half of you will never come back. So God bless you. And uh, it's been a real joy. And, uh, but I'll be here next week. And then people resort to virtue signaling and demon. Man, I, that's a big one. It's putting people down to, to prove their position. All right. Can you give me, can you give me seven minutes? All right. We'll, we'll, we've locked the doors. You're not leaving. Let me give you, I want you to write this down. And I'm going to give you an image because this is how I see it. I, I've read a lot in preparation for today. I hope you recognize that. But I read and watched some material from John Mark Comer, who was the founding pastor of a church in Portland, Oregon. Outside of what I've read and studied from his thoughts on deconstruction, I don't know anything about him. But I want to share some things that I learned in my preparation and some things I believe the Holy Spirit gave to me. And I'll show you three external factors of deconstruction and then three internal factors of deconstruction i'll give you two questions and we'll pray is that a deal so let's talk about the three external factors of deconstruction and this is how i see it in my mind here these are the external reasons that people will deconstruct their faith and we got to start with low discipleship so the great german theologian bonhoeffer called it cheap grace Cheap grace. How can I explain this? Um, so, 
So people want forgiveness, but they don't want accountability. Cheap grace. People want communion, but they don't want confession. Cheap grace. Are you with me? Listen. People want heaven, but they don't want holiness. I'll take Jesus as my Lord as long as I still get to be my own king. If you look at Matthew 13, it's the parable of the sower. Matthew 13, uh, verses 1 through 9. And you see in this parable Jesus teaching about this, this sower that had seed and, and he's throwing seed on the ground and some of the, some of the seed lands on, on rocky soil so the soil rejects the seed. And if you walk through the parable of the sower, you see that some of the seed that's sown it lands on good soil and so it takes root. So a lot of times I see people deconstruct. Watch this. And it's, it's never because of the sower because Jesus is perfect and it's never because of the seed, because that's the authority of God. It always has to do with the soil. Us, me included. Then you get into secular ideologies. Okay? So and let's just talk about it. Secularism, the, the attempt of secular ideologies is at, at its greatest attempt to eradicate religion altogether. Secularism desires that this world would have no faith, no religion, okay? But they'll settle for, let's control your faith. And you, this may be old school. You may believe me or not. Whatevs. Look at, look at secular ideology through the digital footprint of our country right now. Pop culture. Our educational system, public education. From, from, from lower education all the way to universities and what they're teaching. Secular ideologies that attempt to destroy the way of Jesus. And I've, I've taught you this before, that secularism once said that, that, that faith in Jesus was just wrong, but now they say you're dangerous. You're, you're a danger, you're a threat. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And then there is, and this is a huge one, uh, third factor, external factor, is broken trust from spiritual leaders. Good Lord, every week another pastor fails. I don't, I don't, you, you just Google failed pastors and you'll see a list of them every week. I mean, last week, uh, a pastor that I respect, and I don't know the story enough to create my own judgment, but a, a very well-known pastor had to be removed from his elders because of whatever type of direct messaging that he was doing with a woman in his congregation on Instagram. And I, again, I don't know what it's about. You can Google it. You can read it. But we see it all day, every day. Sexual misconduct, misappropriation of funds, scandals. Years ago, there was a pastor on the West Coast, Colorado, uh, Ted Haggard, who for years preached against homosexuality. Homosexuality is a sin. Homosexuality is a sin. Homosexuality is a sin. And yeah, in the Bible, it talks about homosexuality is a sin. And then watch, it comes out that he was hiring gay prostitutes for his own pleasure. Every week. So then I was thinking about this. I'm shocked that there's a couple thousand people on a weekend that trust me enough to come to go church. 
No wonder why a generation is skeptical. Now, let me tell you two things and I'll move on. The first one is this, and my wife will tell you, one of my daily prayers as a husband and as a dad and as your pastor is that you can follow my example as I follow the example of Christ Jesus. Now, I'm not batting a thousand. I got ticked off yesterday at a 14U umpire that was partially blind. (laughs) Somebody say amen. Amen. Not everybody's got 20-20 vision like me and you. And I prayed for his soul on such terrible calls against my only begotten son. (laughs) But it is what it is. And then here's one more thing you need to know. Psalm Psalm 118, verse 8. It is better to put your confidence in God than to put your trust in man. I started this whole conversation with saying, don't put your eternity in the hands of a human being. Now, I don't have some major skeleton in my closet, but if you're putting your faith and my ability to be perfect, I'm going to let you down. And that's not fair to you, and it's not fair to me. I am just as much human as you are. But there is a God who is perfect in all of his ways, and he never makes mistakes. Is anybody getting anything from this? And if you've been hurt by a spiritual leader before, you can... You can trust the leadership of Go Church that we're not out to get you. But we ain't perfect. Three internal factors of deconstruction and then we'll be done. One of the internal factors is there's no holy fear of God. If we really feared God and His just power and majesty and glory we would stop doing some of the things that you and I are doing but we don't fear God because because culture has said how could a loving God send anybody to hell God doesn't send anyone to hell God made a way for you and I to escape the grip of death forever people choose heaven or hell but I don't know if we have a holy fear of God. Uh, listen, you can filter this however you need to about my transparency, but on the days I wanted to quit, and I'm not talking just about pastoring, but about faith. How about that? Like, I don't know. I don't get it. It has been the holy fear of God that has convicted me to my inner being, that has dropped me to my knees to know one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm too afraid of God in a holy, righteous way to walk away from it. Watch, lean in for a second. Because if I live my life for God and at the end of my life I'm wrong, my life has still been better. But for those of you that are skeptics or you doubt or you've deconstructed, If you live your life without that fear of God and you're wrong, 
Every head bowed, every eye closed. Lord, right now, Holy Spirit, move. Come on, Holy Spirit, move. Prove yourself to us, Jesus. We've all got questions. We've all got doubts. We've all got uncertainties because we have a finite mind. But reveal yourself to those who are skeptical or deconstructed. Give them a holy, reverent awe of you, obeying you, worshiping you, serving you, loving you. Draw us near in Jesus' name. Let me finish these two thoughts because I'll be disappointed if I miss them. High digital input, low scripture input. Here's what I mean. We're on social media way too much and not in the word enough. This is one of the biggest internal factors of deconstruction. Barna Research did a study amongst Christian millennials. These are those in the millennial generation that are saved. They average 3,000 hours of digital media in a year. Only 150 of those 3,000 hours have Christian implication or biblical principles. Now that's for those that are saved. I'm not the greatest mathematician, but that's a 20 to 1 ratio. Listen, if 20 to 1 ratio was true for your life, of the garbage of this world versus the grace and the truth of God's word, no wonder we're deconstructing. You are what you eat. You become what you consume. Uh, this is, is going to be one of the weeks in this series, by the way, is we need to get back in the word. And then here's the third one is a wounded heart. I've never met one person that's deconstructed that didn't have a wounded heart. They were hurt by someone or something. A pastor hurt them. A church leader hurt them. A church member hurt them. I'm thinking about some of the ladies at the west side hurt by a parent, a mom, or maybe a dad that claimed to be a Christian, but they abused you. Maybe that's some of your story. I'm thinking about somebody in Germantown. You've got a wounded heart because your spouse walked out on you and they claimed to be a Christian. Here's a big one for all of us. We've been wounded by the political division that's made its way into the church. And so the Republicans were mean, the Democrats were mean, and so our heart is wounded. And when our hearts get wounded, man, we become very closed off. Isn't that true? All right, let me give you these two thoughts. Watch. What questions am I afraid to ask? You've all got them. Let me give you permission to ask them. Now, when you start asking questions, make sure you're asking the right people. This is why we create groups. They kick off this week. You need to be in a small group, and you need to be asking every question that you can think of. And when that group leader doesn't have the answer, they'll go to somebody that does. Iron sharpens iron. So you've got questions you're afraid to ask. Groups is the safe place to ask them. You don't have to feel dumb. You don't have to feel silly. Because when you ask the question, a lot of people in the group are going to be like, my Lord, I had that same question. And then the second thought is this, what question am I afraid to answer? And I'm not talking about answering somebody else's question. I'm talking about what question are you afraid to answer of your own? You've researched, you've studied, you've watched 100 YouTube videos, you've read the Bible, you've gone to a counselor, you heard your pastor, and watch, you know the answer, but you won't accept it. So you would rather deconstruct 
than accept the truth because you're terrified of the reality that truth will actually set you free. Every head bowed, every eye closed.